Hi there, folks. Welcome to not just another episode of King of the Ride podcast. Strap in, get ready, do whatever you need to do to prepare yourself for a story that just might make you reevaluate your entire life. Our guest today is Mike Cohen. Mike hasn't just survived leukemia, where he was diagnosed as an 18-year-old, but he is a heart transplant survivor. He has also ridden his bike across the country, not once but twice, and the second time has a wild tearjerker of a story to go with it. Look, I am an emotional guy. I got all worked up listening to Mike tell me this particular story, and that is nothing but a good thing. And this is one of many, many stories Mike has to tell. If you are into a viewable version, that is, if you want to watch this episode, this is the second podcast in a row that has a video component. I published the entirety of this conversation as a video on my YouTube. It's a little bit complicated, but but stay with me here. Head over to youtube.com, search Ted King. You'll find this video among my videos or... Most likely, if I have my act pulled together, I will put a link in the show notes to this episode to watch. And lastly, depending on when you are listening to this, hopefully the listening date for you today is before January 2nd, 2022. If so, head on over to IamTedKing.com slash DIY Gravel. The 12 days of DIY Gravel are back through the holidays, and then some. If you need a little bit more inspiration to get outside, we've got 12 of them lined up and ready to go. All achievable check marks to to accomplish on your rides, all things you can knock off in a series of rides. Heck, I was out yesterday, and I achieved three of them in one single ride. Folks, there are prizes up for grabs. Seriously, do it. You're going to dig it. Check it out. It's fun. IamTedKing.com slash DIY Gravel. We had 4,000 plus of you sign up last year. Why not join the party? All right, that's it. That's all. No more listening to me. Let's get down to brass tacks. My conversation with Mike Cohen. Good morning. Um, it's almost it's almost too early to ask how your day is going. I know that it is uh, a hair after six thirty out in California. Um, so I'll start by saying, how is the end of your twenty twenty one going, Mike? It's going great. It's going great. Yeah. Um, it's been a it's been an interesting couple couple years, but specifically this year. Um, more recently, you know, I got a new job for Canyon. And, uh, we got, we got dueling bike brands on our shirts. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was, it's, it's good. Yeah. I just got a job with Canyon and, um, I've been working with them as an ambassador for the last year for the, it's my first year with them. Um, and it's good. It's good. It's the first time for a while that I've had to have a routine because of, you know, um, with, with the pandemic and everything and, um, it's good. It's good. Cause I haven't, I really haven't been in a direct public facing, um, position for a while, obviously, um, for a couple different reasons as we'll get into, but, um, it's good to get back in a routine, be around bikes, um, you know, being around people that are constantly pushing themselves. Like, like, I just like to be around people that are, you know, 
you know, make me better and, and, and hopefully I can rub off from them, you know, at the same time. Totally. So let's, we're going to get into your entire story, but I think this could be a, a, a applicable jump off question. If you were a bicycle component, which <laughs> would you be? And if that question is a little bit too out there, then let's just say, what's your favorite bicycle component? You know, like over the years, since I'm, I'm relatively new to cycling, you know, compared to uh, like a lot of people that I'm around, uh, I would say my favorite component is the dropper seat post. Ooh, <laughs> new school. Yeah, I yeah. like it. Yeah. Yeah. No, but, but I feel it's such a, um, you know, again, like I just feel it's such a convenient thing to have. And it just makes so much sense in so many ways to have it. And, you know, for what I've seen, I feel like a lot of people don't use it as much as they should, at least from the retail side. Uh-huh. And they, they don't realize how much of a luxury they have that they could just, you know, if it's a, depending upon the setup, you could just press a button and it just like, you know, it just disappears and makes comfort, you know, somehow, you know, appear out of nowhere. <laughs> uh, the, what, what are your opinions on single speed rim brakes? On bikes that are fully rigid. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, like the yeah, yeah, yeah. the concept of we have the technology, why not use it? And then there's yeah. there's some there's something uh, that's kind of interesting and cool about com- remaining completely old school. I'm with you. I love my dropper. I love all my yeah. droppers. Yeah, yeah. It just makes it easier, huh? Like, yeah. like it's, it's it's an interesting concept to have when you know if you've ever if you've ridden what you're doing now and you didn't have it. Like that's the thing. It's like when you have it, you're like. Okay, now I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, to go to one by single speed to rigid, um, you get <laughs> it, it's not going to be so comfortable. Let's mm-hmm. put it that way. Mm-hmm. Like I like I hope that um, whoever's deciding to set up um, has a really really good choice of chamois, um, <laughs> understands the use of uh, chamois butter or anything of the sort. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but besides that, like if 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 uh, if grinding it out is is what you're looking for, I think that would be a good a, a good setup. <laughs> yeah. Well, just pounding. <laughs> yeah, I think I mean so many people who are who are maybe apprehensive to get into gravel, myself included, before I got into it. Yeah. And basically just said, why don't I just ride a mountain bike on those gravelly yeah. roads? And then you start using it, and you say, no, this is the exact right tool for the job. No different than. A dropper post you're like well i've survived the previous x number of years <laughs> riding a bike why do i need a dropper and then all of a sudden you're like oh that's a game changer okay yeah okay exactly exactly so so speaking of game changing the the trajectory of your life has perhaps not gone the way that you might have expected when you were a a let's call it energetic 12 year old yeah so i know i know some very big aspects of your life um but but i'm still curious many of the details so Wide open question. Uh, can you describe the better part of the past 36 years of your life? Yeah. So just to kind of sum it up, um, when I was 18 years old, I, I was living in New York City. I'm a, a, I'm a Brooklyn boy. And at the time, I was planning on going down the route of becoming a uh, someone th- something within culinary arts. Like I was really good at cooking. Um, at the time I had a bad stutter. So, um, being able to use culinary arts in multiple ways was, you know, for an education at the same time as it was actually like a form of my, my communication at that time. So, um, 
that was my that was my trajectory you know living in new york city um you know like working in some level of restaurant or 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 hotel or something like that um and i then you know i i got a scholarship at a local culinary school in new york city and um it was the second day of it was the first day of the second semester um was my last was my last day of school i didn't realize it and um uh like the next literally the next day i was walking to work at the time you know getting ready it was just a morning early shift so you know it's not too crazy um and it was snowing you know and um i was walking to work and i just had some some phlegm in my throat and i spit it up it was covered in blood and that was when this whole thing started um when i knew something was wrong and it never stopped for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, later on that night, I was rushed to the hospital um, with like because I thought I was having a heart attack at that point, but it was actually my spleen being completely enlarged. Um, and later that night, I was diagnosed with cancer at the at the emergency room at the age of eighteen. Yeah. Holy cow! Uh, you said you felt like you were having a heart attack that evening. How did you feel? prior i mean did you feel like sort of a a youthful invincible 18 year old or were you feeling symptoms that maybe you didn't recognize at the time that's that's a great question um you know exactly exactly that like i felt like i was 18 i just felt like i was run down i thought i was tired i thought something was wrong um weeks before i think like my we'd gone to a physician and they told me that i had mono so i'm like that makes sense you know i feel kind of run down you know, I was, I was commuting to the city. I was going to school. I was uh, going work full time. I still was trying to maintain some level of a social life. Um, and yeah, it was, it all just came tumbling down. And, um, you know, like when I was at that, when we were at the hospital, um, I remember I was in the hospital bed and I was in excruciating pain. Like, like when I said heart attack, like, like, cause the pain was sourced out of the left side of my chest mm-hmm. and it was just, it was radiating. So I'm like, what, you know, what's going on? And like, that's what I've heard that heart attacks were. So that's what I thought it was. Yep. Um, and then later on that night, um, I was just, I was in so much pain. This woman came up to me. She was like, this is going to help you. And she just jabbed my arm. I think it was Oxycontin wow. um, at the time. And she's like, she's like, this is going to help you. And then like, I, I swear, like minutes later, I felt like, Hey Ma, let's go home. Like yeah. I'm ready to go. This is great. And then, and then the last thing I remember, like I remember just like 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 looking over and there was a doctor talking to my mom, and I just heard the word cancer. And I'm like, all right, this this is this is not happening. And I just passed out. And I I remember waking up the next day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's there's a immortality feeling of being 18 years old that. Mm-hmm you've, I mean, it's something that you've had to grapple with more than once. So yeah. yeah. What is, what's the beginning process from there? Um, to, yes. to yeah. Leukemia? Yeah. So the initial diagnosis was, uh, um, uh, it was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, so like non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, um, my, my grandmother actually had passed from lymphoma, um, earlier in 20 and 20, uh, in 2000, I was diagnosed January 18th, 2004. So she passed 2003, like literally this summer after I graduated high school. Um, and so the, yeah, so the, that, what, what that looked like was, uh, they needed to transfer me cause I was, 
because I was at a local, um, just a local hospital, um, living in New York at the time worked out, you know, I was able to transfer to a really good cancer specific young adult hospital, um, in Long Island at the time. Um, and that would start the, um, acute lymphoblastic leukemia treatments. I had two and a half years of chemotherapy in front of me. Um, I had to have multiple bone marrow biopsy, um, just to check to see the, the level of cancer. I had spinal tap infusion chemotherapies, um, no surgeries, but just consistent rounds of chemotherapy for two years, for two and a half years. Um, so from the age of 18 to 21, I was, I was being treated. Um, then first year, this, this is the crazy thing where interesting, everything goes for, forward from this. Mm-hmm. Um, we had just got a puppy. We just moved from Long Island to New Jersey and my family were like, you know what, this, this house needs a dog. <laughs> so we got had a golden retriever uh, from the Amish country. Actually, it was pretty cool. Um, and so the first day we had the puppy, like for literally first day we had the puppy, I'm like, you know, Molly, I don't feel good. I had like this dry cough. And so we went to the, the local hospital there. And um, I remember just walking in because at that point they knew me. I was there like if I had a fever, I had to, you know, I had the easy pass. Yeah. You know, when it comes to being seen, I was 18, like no one's going to, you know, make me wait at that point, which was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but later on that day, um, we went into the hospital and uh, they told me they're like, you like that dry cough was actually turns out to be uh, pneumonia, congestive heart failure. And I had several uh, blood clots in my lung. So that was the first heart failure I had at the age of 19. And so that was when, that was the first time I was told, again, this wasn't the hospital I was being treated at for my cancer. Um, so when I was there, the, uh, the cardiologist there, I asked him like, so when could I expect to go home? And he looked me in the eye. He's like, you're not going home. Yeah. He's like, you're not leaving this hospital. That was the first time someone told me that I wouldn't make it. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, heart failure is irreparable. Is that right? I mean, as, as a 19 year old, yeah. it's, it's a different story if you're 89 years old and then you live out the rest right. of your life. Uh, right. I mean, unable to put myself in your shoes, having like, like you said, when you heard the diagnosis of cancer, you pass out. What is that diagnosis like being told, Hey, you're not leaving this hospital. I mean, is that, a, do you pass out? I can't imagine. No, no, not that day. Um, no. So like that was actually, that's when I started realizing I had something, um, there was something that was going on in my, in my body, in my mind, in my brain, in my heart, um, that I, so I didn't like, I didn't give up cause I never really gave up, but I was just like, like emotionally, I was just like, how am I going to do this? Yeah. Because in order to treat, in order to treat the blood clots that I had in, in order to treat what I needed to treat, they had to take me off chemotherapy. So that was the interesting part of that diagnosis because, hmm. you know, when you have an, you're already suppressed immune system and then you go into, you know, I mean, chemotherapy just destroys everything you have. Yeah. And then you go forward into, um, you need to do like, like a respiratory, uh, like treatments with steroids that, that, that weakens it even more. So I was, every time I would get treatments to treat what I was just diagnosed with my, my, my immune system and my body would just, it would be even more, it would be even more, uh, compromised. Like I was weaker. I was, I was, I mean, I was just like, what am I going to do? I don't even know what I'm going to do. I yeah. literally said like, I'm like, at this point, 
whatever happens, happens. There's nothing I could do. Like, but then everything started turning around and um, I started feeling good. My mindset was changing. Um, I saw a psychologist and the psychologist um, had told me, he was like, you know, th there's not many people that are your age going through what you, you're going through. That's why you're feeling the way you're feeling. There's nothing wrong with you. Yeah. There's just not enough people around you that you could, you know, call community with. You can't just bounce something off someone. You can't call someone. At that time, there wasn't, you know, the the availability of the internet at the same at the same level. There was, but it wasn't it was it wasn't what it is now for anybody, you know, being treated what I was diagnosed with. Certainly, yeah, to say the least. So, uh, what what is what is your outlet at this point like you said you have um you say psychiatrist psychologist yeah um is your is your family your your place is it friends is it i mean to be the the two years of chemotherapy as an 18 year old must have been isolating in its own right i mean yeah what is your network at this point yeah no so so throughout all of this you know from then to now um friends and family have been the most constant. Like I, my, like my mom, my dad and my, and my little brother have been my rocks since day one. Um, at that time we had that dog, you know, which was nice. Like that was a great little escape later on. That dog ended up dying of cancer, by the way, interestingly enough. Um, and, Sheesh. but no, but I, yeah, <laughs> I mean, we don't have enough time. No, but like, um, no, but like having my friends, I mean, my friends, I've had a group of friends at that point. They were there for, since day one. Like they would, I mean, like when I was going through chemo, like I remember some of my friends coming up and at one point I had to walk with, you know, I had to walk with legitimately like a cane because I was so weak. I wasn't able to walk. Um, and they used to come to the door and like, it, it was kind of like the old school way of courting someone like, Hey, can we come get Mike and, and go to the mall? Like yeah. that's kind of the way it was, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, it was kind of cool. And, you know, as like over the, like over the years, I would say the most, the biggest constant um, was me realizing that, that what I had wasn't, it's not the worst. There's always someone that had it worse. That, that, that's, that's what always kept me on my toes and also made me very grateful about the series, about the situation I had. I'm like, as bad as it is for me, there are people that can't, that don't, might not have access to the care that I have, might not have access to the family that I have, might not have access to the level of, um, you know, hematologists and oncologists that I had. So that kept, that kept me going and made me realize like how lucky I was since, throughout this entire process and that was when um so i was going to culinary school and then when i um when i started feeling better like i, I had to stop school i had to stop, stop everything when i was initially diagnosed but then when i started feeling better i'm like i'm ready to go back to school i'm ready to kind of start trying to pursue a new life again and that was when i decided i wanted to transfer to a uh so like the school i had um had multiple locations. So I was able to choose like the, the next place I was going to go. And so instead of being back in New York and constantly worrying about my immune system, I tried to find like a warmer climate. So I was looking at Florida. Um, I looked in Orange County and then eventually I found San Diego and found San Diego. And I was like, this is where I'm going. Yeah. This is where I'm moving. Yeah. Um, you know, I committed immediately, like the weather was there. And the, the first night I, arrived in San Diego and I was hanging out with my new roommates because there was a setup that you were able to find your roommates or whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, I met all of my current friends. So like <laughs> the first night ever, this is 2005. I'm all bald. I don't have any facial hair. I mean, th this is not too far off, 
but I was, you know, I was all, <laughs> I was completely bald. I was I, like, I looked small. Like, I mean, I could send you photos if you want, but oh, yeah. I looked tiny. Yeah. And it was the first night I met all my, my current friends this day. Yeah. I've been in weddings. I, I still hang out with these people 15, later, 15 years later. That's incredible. Um, and I've had them the, the entire time. So I've been very lucky to have the right mindset to be surrounded by the right people to have the, you know, and there's a lot of pieces that make this possible, you know, that photo behind me possible. So like, I've, I'm never throughout this entire time. I'm never like, why me? I think that's one of the things that helped me was I was never depressed because of like not understanding why I got it. I was more depressed of like, my body's not working. <laughs> yeah. You know, I just can't feel good. I'd like to feel good one day. And that was my biggest goal. Like, let's just get through today. If tomorrow's a better day, let's keep going. You know, that was my goal just to keep on, just to keep moving forward, which fits a lot of different ways now in my life, you know? Oh, completely. Yeah. That's the, the, the power of positive thinking is incredible. Um, I mean, yeah, with a, yeah. with a lesser mindset, with a more destructive mindset, who's to say where you'd be now. Mm -hmm. Um, so walk, walk me through logistically again, through when you are told you have heart failure as a 19 year old, what's, what's the next period of time look like? Um, so at that point they, they had me on, uh, on blood thinners. So, um, I was my, my regimen at that point when it came to fitness was, was running. Mm -hmm. uh, um, <laughs> yeah, I did terrible. I was trained for five. Ugh. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, I did five Ks. Um, I yeah. started running around like soft tracks, like anything I could just get up and out. Like that was my goal. Like if I could spend time out of the house, like that was my treatment. Um, and yeah, it, it was just doing whatever I can to build up my respiratory, you know, breathing and and constantly keep my my you know my lungs clean. And mm -hmm. and I was eating well at the time because you because I don't have much of a choice. Um, but then of course it's just, just a regiment of, you know, um, you know, just constantly staying with the doctor and being maintained and going through breathing, breathing exercises. Um, the mindset is, is weird because like I am young enough that it could recover. So that's what they were, that's what they were anticipating that they said that down the road, there could be some potential heart issues, you know, because of chemotherapy. But we're not thinking about that at that point. Sure. We're not saying, oh, you know, maybe maybe in four or five years. Like I was just trying to wake up the next day. Yeah. So it was like yeah. it was like day to day thinking with with the mindset of like, if you do get past this, um, you might have issues down the road. And that was what was interesting. <laughs> yeah. You know, like like I never thought about it. Like I really like I could still see the vision to this day. When I look ahead, I still see the same thing that I saw when I start, you know, when I when I was diagnosed and I still say the same, I still, I still see the same thing after each of the healthiest things that I've had, I still see that same vision of just, you know, day by day and moving forward. But I'll never forget, you know, when, when, when everything came to, to catch up more, mm -hmm. more recently and, um, the next heart failure came. <laughs> so you are a two time heart transplant survivor. What, no, what no, else? So, so my so, so my claim to fame <clears throat> is uh, <laughs> you've got a couple. Um, so yeah, yeah, I have a couple. So so it's leukemia survivor. So I'm I'm, four, I'm almost fifteen. I'm fifteen years this year. Two thousand two thousand Yeah, fifteen years this year. Uh, in twenty twenty two, so it's fourteen now. Um, I had a heart attack at the age of thirty two. 
that was the other hard failure I was just about to get into. Okay. Um, so that was, so that's where everything started moving forward. So, um, yeah, so it was heart attack 32 and then I ended up getting my transplant at 33. So just in timeline, it was six months afterwards. So, um, yeah, so that, so the heart attack, I ended up having a, all right. So, uh, I was, I just had, I just got a job at the, at, at that time I was working for a marijuana company, um, because I worked for Trek. It was an opportunity. There wasn't enough opportunity within the, the realm I was in. And I'm like, you know what? I want to try to, I want to see what I could do. And so I got a job for a medical marijuana company at the time. And through, during my experience, I, I helped like one time I used marijuana and it completely cured my, um, my nausea. Like I used to not be able to hold down food during chemotherapy. And I discovered pot at that time. And from that point moving forward, I never threw up ever again after that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, if I could work in a legal setting and if I could help, maybe help patients, cause that was my position was just to talk to people, was just to talk to patients. And so I'm like, this is great. Like this is, I could tell my story and help. Um, so I was, I came back from, from a day of that work and I was making myself a steak and, um, I just had shooting pains. I had a weird jaw pain, like right here, my left arm, I couldn't lift my left arm at all. Yep. And I had like, I had a really, really tight chest pain. Yep. Um, later on that night, they ended up diagnosing me with a heart attack that was caused by a golf ball sized blood clot in the left ventricle of my heart. And you're, so that, you're... That, 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 that clock came from the chemotherapy from almost 10 years before. So that's the interesting part because yeah. I rode across the country in 2012 for the first time that was to celebrate my six years cancer free. Uh-huh. And I was able to do that ride. Like yeah. I did that. I did 3,168 miles in 38 days. That was like, that was the first part I ever did. Like big ride I ever did. Yeah. <laughs> 38 days. Yeah. I did from, 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 uh, from Phoenix, from Albuquerque to Amarillo, I did 700 miles in seven days on a felt Z100 yeah. aluminum frame bike with I think I think it had nine speed at that point. Oh, brutal! I didn't know what I was doing, but that, <laughs> but that, but like that's how good like I felt. And then mm-hmm. they tell me just a couple of years after that that I had a golf ball sized blood clot in the left ventricle of my heart. Yeah. So typically, when you have a heart attack, when you think a heart attack, you hear about blowing it up. My heart was coming to a halt. Yep. It was slowing down so much. There was no, my heart wasn't working anymore. Sure. It was just dying because of the chemotherapy from. Right. Well, yeah. What you would not have predicted when they said, oh, by the way, you might have some heart issues down when they, the road. Exactly. Exa- you might have issues. I never thought about that. Yeah. But now looking back and shit. I mean, <laughs> but yeah. There was probably no. Living in a world of hypotheticals, there was probably no uh, alternative. It's not like they said, or maybe they did. They said, you know what? You don't have to take this, and you won't have heart issues, but chances are you're going to die. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. I mean, there was, like, my, we did the best we can. Let's yeah. put it that way. Like, yeah. there was no way that I was going to be mad at myself or anybody else for not making the right decision then. Yep. Or, or you know, being more proactive with my health because I was so healthy between finishing my chemo at 2007 at 21 to at that that point I was just living my life I thought I was able to move past that and just keep on moving forward that legitimately that was my that was the reason that's probably why I did not go through the process of checking my heart throughout the years that's the truth like I just was trying to move forward I thought that I'd be able to be okay with it you know with not 
Well, yeah, furthermore, the way you describe it, it's not as though you have one lightning bolt moment. It's it's the perpetual nope. slowing down. <laughs> the, it, it, yeah. Presumably it takes place over such a period of time you wouldn't notice in the first place. Um, exactly. Okay, so as you're dealt blow after blow now after <laughs> blow, what what's the yeah. recourse from... Well, actually, what I really was curious about, as you're feeling yeah. the the pain in, in your face and mm-hmm. in your arm and in your chest... Are you, are you fully lucid at that point? Like, are you feeling it and you're saying, oh my God, something's bad is happening right now? Or are you sort of semi-checked out? That's a great question. So at that point, I started going back into cancer mode. I'm like, what is this? Like I, like I was by myself. So I was, in, I was in our apartment by ourselves. And the entire time, I'm like, what is this? Like, I can't figure this out. I've, like, have I felt this before? Because I've had so many different side effects. I'm like, maybe this is in my library of yeah. you know, side effects. Who knows? Yeah. Um, and no, so I, I was fully conscious. I was fully like trying to figure this out. And then eventually something came to me like, dude, you're having a heart attack. Like that's where like, I'm like, because I could, because like my, my, my younger brother was, was, was in town at that time. My ex-girlfriend at the time, like that's the apartment we shared. So I was trying to reach out to both of them without saying, Hey, I'm having a heart attack. Can you move? Can you maybe come home? <laughs> so I just sent them a text. I'm like, Hey, you need to get here as soon as possible. So as soon as I sent that text, I started getting in, in hospital mode. So I got into like comfortable sweats. I made sure my phone was charged. Like that's what I used to do when I used to go, you know, when I would have a problem with cancer. So I was kind of in that same mode. My brother came home. I sat on the couch. I remember saying to myself out loud, Mike, do not go to sleep. Sit up. Do not go to sleep. Do not go to sleep. And literally as I was tipping, I was tipping over and my brother like walked in. He caught me. He helped me up. He walked me to the car. We rushed to the hospital. And that was when they confirmed, like, they're like, you're having a heart attack in front of like 12 people. They're like, you're having a heart attack. We need to run you down to, to get an angiogram. And then when they, when they ran me down an angiogram, like, so this was late night, they had to get everybody off call. You know, everybody was on call. So we're waiting for the doctor. And I'm like, so am I going to die tonight? I, I, should, I said that straight to the nurse. I'm like, can I die? Like, will I die tonight? She was like, well, the fact that you've been conscious through this entire time, you haven't fell asleep you haven't lost consciousness like that's that's going to be the key that's been the key why you're still here and so when i did that the next thing that came up was um when i was in the angiogram like completely under i don't know if you're familiar with angiogram is but um, for those who don't it's a test where they insert a camera into your artery um and so they do that so they can go inside your heart so they legitimately push it all the way up your arm into your heart and they see if there's any blockages. That's how they could dictate how bad a heart attack is or whatnot. And while I'm under, so you're not fully out. Like you, it's localized aesthetic, so you're still conscious, but you don't really feel. But you do feel, but you're not supposed to. Mm-hmm. And you really can't do anything because you're kind of out. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but they're saying to me, they're like, hey, Mike, you know what? Like you have the cleanest arteries I've ever seen for a heart attack patient. So what does that mean? At least I ate right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's no cholesterol that's just you know like it, that's not what caused it, right? Like like at least for day one, that's that's what I knew. I'm like, this is not a diet, you know, m- making bad decisions, heart attack. This is a heart attack that no matter what, I couldn't avoid because I made the decision that I made to ten years prior. Yeah. So Frick. yeah, so that was that. <laughs> yeah so 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 that so once they they found that clot in my in my heart um the next step was they need to get it out and the the goal was they gave me medication to to, to kind of dissolve the clot um it was too big and the next move 
the next move from there was I needed to get a open heart surgery to implant an LVAD device. So it's called a left ventricle assist device that they implant inside your heart to assist your heart's function. And then it's plugged into the wall for its power. So I would go through this 12 hour operation, come out. I then had to go back on blood thinners because the blood that was circulating through my body needed to be at a certain viscosity to get through the pump without clogging up that pump. And so I had to live in my house. It was a very small apartment, which ended up working out, connected to a 12-foot cord mm-hmm. for six months. <sighs> Couldn't go out anywhere. Um, when I wanted to go out, I had to carry VHS-sized batteries for those viewers who don't, or those listeners who don't know what a VHS is. <laughs> um, it was, it's a form of uh, entertainment that <laughs> kept us all very, very happy for a long time. But yeah, I was carrying around VHS-sized batteries and, um, uh, or plugged into the wall. And if it was raining outside or when I would take a shower, I had to saran wrap myself to prevent myself from getting electrocuted. What the hell, man? Yeah. So I was a prisoner of my own body. For, like, so like a lot of people are like, so what's worse, chemo or the LVAD? Yeah. And that's a very good question to me because chemo, chemo is one of like those things that I, it's not like I don't like talking about it because I know how much it's, it, it works. And I know how um, now there's different forms of chemotherapy to, to treat people. So it's a little bit better. Mm-hmm. I didn't have those treatments. <laughs> so my view on chemotherapy contains, contains a lot of curse words. Um, the LVAD was worse in my opinion, because I was just strapped to a cord and I couldn't, I couldn't go in. I, I couldn't ride. They told me I would never ride my bike again, which, which, which was nice. Um, yeah, they told me you, you'll never ride your bike again. Um, especially with being on blood thinners, they like, forget about it. They're like, if you fall, if you, you know, any, any, any blood <laughs> causing cut at all, you can bleed out. And that was just something I'm like, okay. You know, if that's not part of my plans anymore, then that's not it. And I was devastated. I mean, I literally wrote a post to my bike saying, you know, I'm sorry that I'm giving up on you, but it's not my choice. <laughs> mm-hmm. Was the was the um, the decision by the doctors to put you on the LVAD, was that indefinite or is that is that a stopgap or? Great question. Yeah. So that's they call that the bridge to transplant. Um so when so when you have an LVAD, it's considered like a certain uh, stage of heart failure. So they called mine, I think it was like end heart failure. And I think that meant just because my heart was coming to, to its end that I am going to need a transplant. But the LVAD has been known, if it works the proper way, that it could actually keep you alive and keep the heart pump, uh, pumping at that at that level for years. So like I was kind of like planning. I'm like, okay. You know, if I get this for a couple of years, um, you know, maybe maybe I could then, you know, choose to put myself on the list. Like once I feel like it or something like that, that's what I thought. I'm like, maybe, you know, maybe I could choose when I, you know, am ready to get on that list and then and, and go from there. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> but yeah, that, that that wasn't the case. And um, six months later, um, I had... I, I was due to go in for my normal blood draw, but I woke up with like a click. And so, so mind you, this is a pump. Like if you literally would lay on my chest or just put your ear to my chest, you would hear, and I would just hear a click. And so I heard that click. I'm like, something's wrong. Let me just get it checked out while I'm getting my blood taken anyway. And they're like, um, yeah, your LDH level, which is a 
count that's a part of your blood that um, signifies that there's a blood clot somewhere within your body, um, you're not going home. We're going to keep you over to just to make sure everything's okay. And I never, I never went home and, until <laughs> I was, uh, I became a resident of the hospital for 26 days at that point. The six, six months after receiving the LVAD in January, 2000, no, January, 2018. Because it was, because your heart was so fickle at that point, like you weren't yeah. healthy enough to go home. Right. And the clot was somewhere that, so like, so first off with the clot being in the left ventricle of my heart, left ventricle, which you probably already know this, but left ventricle goes up for blood. So, um, yeah, they were, they were concerned, um, about the level of, uh, for me to go home in any capacity, but I was prepared because when they decided that they were going to keep me, that was then when they also decided to start putting me through the process of being listed. So I was being monitored to the max. I like, I almost didn't want to go home cause I knew I was safe. I knew I was being taken care of. I knew I was monitored 24 hours a day. Like I felt more comfortable at that point. I wanted to go home. Trust me. Like, I'm like, I want to go in my bed. I want to sleep in my bed. I mean, I was so angry for so many of those days. I mean, I think I even tried to record like some podcasts while I was in there. Like I had a podcast at that time and I was recording like my thoughts while I was living, literally waiting in the hospital, you know, to get better and waiting for a heart at that point. (laughs) I'm like, and, um, yeah, it was like, they told me, they're like, if you could do whatever you can to stay healthy during, during your time here. Um, I would do laps around the hospital floor. I would just take my pole. I had multiple poles. I had my my power cord pole, and then I had my IV pole. And I'm just walking down, you know, I'm just walking up and down the cardiovascular floor, and everybody else around me is, like, all old. And I'm like, well, you know, hey, I'm here. You know, if you guys want to talk and hang out, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. Well, shoot. I mean, for for mental sanity as much as anything – not least of which trying to get a little exercise by going for those walks. But mm-hmm. if the alternative is to stare at a TV or stare at a bed or listen to the beeping in a hospital yeah. room, it yep. goes back to the power of positive thinking. Um, yep, exactly. So I don't know how artistic this question is going to come across, but but I'm curious, I'm curious how you see the concept of time, meaning to have survived leukemia and, to, and, and have a heart transplant with a indefinite future in mind given that these challenges how do you how do you see a time horizon like does 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 anything seem like a long period of time or a short period of time or are you sort of moot to timelines in the first place having been accustomed to what you've been accustomed to all great questions um so the key, so I would say like my secret, my secret weapon is my patients and my kryptonite is my patients. And I, I would say that's such a good question. Time to me has, I slow it down. Like I, I, I won't, I don't like making plans too far ahead. Like just because like, I just don't um, like even, you know, even like setting, you know, to go to certain gravel races, even to, you know, sign up for certain things like the commitment that's involved with that. You know, obviously I want to become a part of gravel. I I love the gravel world. I love the community. I think it's absolutely amazing. It's a place where I definitely belong and want to continue being, but there's planning, you know, and there's distance and there's, um, the concept of time is very important. And 
you know, to get there and, and, and to all, and, and to bring my pills and, you know, to live the life that I have, um, time, time is the most important thing. And I only choose to, like, I don't, like, I don't waste it. Like, that's what I like to do. Like, I don't waste my time. I don't, I don't, like, I won't surround myself with people that are not, that are, that are overly negative or just not, not real, not realistic, you know? Um, I, I try to spend as much time with my friends and I try to give back my time. I try to give back to my transplant community, um, other people that are having issues with any level of anything. Um, I like to, like, I like to help. So I think that the time point, I know I have a limited amount of time. Um, I like the challenge if someone tells me that I can't do something. Like when my, my doctor said I wouldn't leave the hospital, I ended up, you know, running in a half marathon just six months after that. (laughs) Um, So like, like, like I like when people tell me I can't do something. So, but them telling me I have 12 years, you know, potentially with this heart, I like to think that that's just like the beginning, but, but at the same time, I'm not. I'm not saying I'm Superman where I, you know, don't hear those times. I'm not saying I don't recognize that my time is limited. Like, do I choose a partner, you know, to be with someone, to be with a woman and tell her, Hey, you know, this might not end in marriage. This might not end in a relationship. This something could happen. Um, but like, I like to make sure that the time that I do spend, I'm very honest with people. I'm very transparent. I'm extremely positive. Um, I try to share my story to, hopefully make people realize that they need to appreciate what they have rather than looking for what they think that that they don't have and to recognize who they are and what they already have. Like that's what I have. I am who I am. There's not much more I could do besides try my best, utilize my time, not waste my time, ride my bike, be positive, you know, whatever I could do to keep this heart moving. I have the mindset. I've, I've, you know, like the second that I knew I was going to receive a heart transplant, I had mentioned out loud that I would like to meet the family of um, my recipient or to, to establish some level of communication with them. And that was because I want them to know that like, if I'm going to have their son or daughter's heart, you know, that their, their heart's in a good place. Like I have good intentions. Like I'm not smoking, you know, cigarettes. I'm not drinking alcohol. I mean, every so often, maybe once a month, but whatever it takes to keep me alive is what I'm going to do. And so, you know, time to me is a, is a very important concept. You know, everybody, I mean, it's a love and hate relationship with time. Um, but I appreciate my time. So like, I, I don't have too much time like thinking about what I could have done. It's more like what I want to do with what I currently have. And knowing where I'm at now is I want to ride bikes. I want to meet new people. I want to create new memories in my head that can kind of push the old ones out. That's mm-hmm. my goals is to live the opposite of what I did the first 32 years of my life. That's my goal. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, about six different directions I want to take it. Um, you hit on a handful of things, and then now we're going to address the the photo behind you. So every cyclist has a story, you know, how they got into cycling, what they do on the bike, why they love it, what where it takes them, and so on and so forth. You went for a bike ride clear across the country, and that was that was in order to meet uh, the mother of of the person whose heart donation you have received. You talked about the communication really quick. I mean, talk open floor, you know, tell me about yeah. that, that process being on a heart transplant list, uh, how the communication went with her, how the ride went. Sure. Go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. So timeline wise time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I had the heart transplant in 
I received my heart February 25th, 2019. Um, That's not long ago. No, that was three days after my 33rd birthday at the time, too. I was actually in the hospital for my birthday. And the day that they were discharging me, they said, they're like, we have good news and we have bad news. They're like, the bad news is you're not going home. The good news is that we got you a heart. We have a heart for you. Like, you know, there's good news is everybody gets good news of different forms, you know? And when I heard those words, I never, I truly never thought I would hear those words. You never think you're going to have a heart transplant. You know, as much as you're listed on the list, like, you know, the pro, you know, to be listed on the list in the first place is bad. I mean, you need to be listed on a heart transplant list is bad. You need to be listed on any organ list is bad. Yeah. Um, so like just being there was just, I can't believe this, but due to me having the LVAD, you know, at that time, um, they told me that, um, the pro- process of waiting for a heart is the worst. There's no time frame. There's no appointments. They don't set a time like whenever that call comes in is when you get a call. So um, in my case, they were, they were looking for, so, so they were looking for a very specific size heart. You know, in my case, at that time, I was, I think I was, I was 5'11", 210, maybe 205. Um, it could become, it could be a female or male heart, which I learned. I didn't know that. Hmm. Um, it was, um, it would have to be within a three hour time frame of, of, of travel. So that's either f- three hours flying or within three hours or a certain amount of distance driving. Um, in the location where I was, we're in not the greatest place to receive a heart because we have down in San Diego, we have, f- we have four borders, but two of those borders are taken away. You have ocean and you have Mexico. Um, so you lose the potential, you know, the same amount of uh, potential organs that are available in like LA where you have three potential regions you could pull from. I had two. So it wasn't looking great. I couldn't choose the hospital. I mean, I could have, but you know, living where I was, where my transplant hospital was, was so close to where we were. So I'm like, this doesn't make sense for me to go up North. Um, and yeah, so being listed, they just, they, it, it was just a matter of, since I had that, that, that device that made me more, that, that put me on top of the list. Like I actually had top of the list status for 30 days. And at the end of that 30 days was when I was supposed to be discharged was when I received the heart. So literally on the last day of eligibility, I received the heart transplant. I could have been there for months, 26 days, uh, 34 total days. I had the heart, which is a very, very fast time frame. Not to, to go off topic when you, the, your yeah. discharge date, then how do you met that date with no heart? Would you've what gone home and then still been on the list? They would have sent me home. Yeah. Yeah, they would have sent me home okay. and I would have got a phone. Wow. <laughs> I would have got like, you know, like the presidential phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and just have, yeah, just have to drop everything and just, you know, go. like, you know, just fly down the HOV lane, get tickets, and then go straight. Like, they got a heart for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't pull <laughs> me over. Actually, okay. Yeah. Okay. So over, yeah. you get the call or word. I get the call. Um, I already packed because they told me I was going home earlier that morning. I'm like, I'm packed up. Let's go. I was like sitting in my chair. Like all waiting and everything. I t- you know, I called my ex girlfriend at the time. I'm like, come get me. I'll be I'll be out of here by like twelve. And then I call her back. Uh yeah, so uh they found me a heart, so I'm not coming home. <laughs> and then everything just blew up, you know. My parents were on the were on the east coast at that time because at that point my grandfather was going through some health stuff, so they couldn't even be there. Um, but I called them, like, yeah, like I I, I got that heart call. 
Um, but then the really interesting part about that call is, is that they don't want you to expect that you're getting the surgery until you actually go in for the surgery. So that to, to get that information early in the day to the time that they actually wheel me down, they're like, the only time you're going to get a heart is when you wake up and there's a heart in your chest. Feels like there's so many factors that can go in that, that the doctors say that that heart is not good enough. Yeah. Like based upon by the time that that organ shows up at, at the actual hospital, it could not be good. It, it could not be the right size. They might not like the way it looks. They might not like the condition, the backstory of the person. They might not want that. So, I mean, there's, there's options for some people who are in such dire, you know, are, are in such dire situations that they can take a hepatitis heart. They could take, you know, other options and they weren't, they don't want me to have that. So, wow. um, that, yeah. So that night before the actual surgery went through, I was walking around and they're like, Hey, you know, do you mind if we, we get your height again? So they had to re just reconfirm that was the right size. And then, um, so it was, so like a bunch of my friends came to the, to the, the room as we were waiting, we're playing GoldenEye and, uh, we're playing, uh, Mario Kart, you know, just to kind of keep the, the mood fun. And, uh, yeah, yeah, we got the call and, um, they wheeled me down. And once I got into the operating room, they asked me what music I'd like to listen to. Not that I really was going to be listening to anything, but, um, I chose Radiohead. I thought it was a very, very, uh, <laughs> I thought it was a good, um, tune, you know, good, good mood to have as I was going into this potential permanent abyss. <laughs> sure. Um, Jeez. I woke up, woke up the next day, uh, 16 hours later and, um, I had a heart, I had a heart and all the cords were out of me. All those, the pump was out of me. Um, it was surreal. It really was that, you know, like it was, I, I, like, I thought I was living in a nightmare the entire time. And once that heart was in my chest, like that's when it started hitting me more. I'm like, someone died, someone died for this. And I know it wasn't for me. I know I didn't do anything um, wrong. You know, like I was just in a really bad circumstance and so was this person. Um, and I feel like that, that's what kind of got me through accepting the heart that was in my chest. Um, but then I would say maybe, so, so I was discharged. So I got the heart February 25th. I was discharged on March 12th. And I received a letter from James's family um, barely six weeks out when I left, when I got discharged. That doesn't happen. They, they, they usually tell you, they're like, you should wait about six months before you establish any contact. But they, they established contact with me. So the fact that I, I had a letter, I already had some kind of knowledge of who and where and what is going on with what's going on inside my chest. And immediately I'm like, I have to meet these people. Like, that's the first thing I thought. I'm like, I have to meet these people. Um, they had me sign up for cardiac rehab and that's where everything started. That's when the snowball started, you know, forming. Like I get in there, they start wiring me up. And in the corner of the room, I see like a little spin bike. I'm like, nope, not going there yet. <laughs> I went straight to, you know, the elliptical because at that point I'm, I'm still open. Like I'm still raw. Like, you know, my scars are still healing. I'm like, I don't really want to, you know, worry about this right now, you know? And it was just a matter of like, they just want to monitor and monitor. And it's so always building. I was the youngest guy in the room, of course, again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I'm working out, I'm working out. And then like just one week, I remember saying, I'm like, 
I remember going to the physical therapist. I'm like, could I go and bike? She's like, let me just look at your numbers real quick. She's like, yeah, sure. And so I went right back into like, you know, saddle size mode. It wasn't a spin bike. It was, you know, it was one of those stationary, like yeah. bulky beasts. Uh-huh. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm centering in the pedal, like I'm moving. Like, uh-huh. like, it just went like straight to like, like back. I'm like, as I'm ready, I'm getting ready for a ride. And I'm like, I could do this. Like I got on, I think I'm, I think I'm on the road barely a mile. It took me like 30 minutes, but I'm like, I could do this. I'm like, I could do this again. And that was when I started thinking, I'm like, maybe I could ride to meet, meet their family. And I didn't know where they were at the time. You know, it it took more time before I found out that, um, he was going to be buried at the Jacksonville national cemetery. And so my plan was, it wasn't even to meet his family. Like I was just planning if they, because I didn't expect first off to even get the letter in the first place. So I was saying I could still find out. I knew he was in the military based upon that note. I could always find where he was buried. You know, unfortunately they have, you know, very public record. You could find out where they're located. So I was planning, I'm like, I could always go if they don't feel comfortable enough to meet me, I could just go directly to, to the cemetery, pay my respects. And that's the reason for my ride. But they agreed that they would love to meet me and their whole family and his grandparents and his stepsisters and his stepdad and his uncles and his aunts. And, um, we just decided to, to make this a thing. And, uh, I started going through the logistics of planning a ride across the country again. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, my company that I was working for sponsored me and actually donated um, an RV for us to use. Um, I had my younger brother uh, as the driver, my best friend as my um, my domestique, I would say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not really, but he was a beast. Um, <laughs> and my my little 16-pound dog, Lincoln. And it was, I'm like, let's let, let's do this. And, um, the ride itself was, we didn't do, do the full distance. He, so he was a first time rider. Um, and so like whenever we had roads that were really, really close to cars, we ended up not, not riding that. <laughs> Perfectly sane choice. He just got a new heart. Yeah. He just got a new heart. I'm like, all right, if that's what you want to make it fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I was ready to ride the entire thing, but the total mileage just end, ended up being like 1,462 miles. Um, or 400, no, 1,426, one of those numbers. I always, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, and then in route, um, I, we met some really interesting people. Like, like we met, um, one person that was following the entire story and in the middle of like, uh, like a, like a truck stop in the middle of New Mexico, um, he comes up, he's like, are you guys, are, because we had like this thing on the back of the RV, like, you know, check out our site. It's like, are you guys, those guys riding across the country? I'm like, yeah. He's like, dude, thank you so much. He's like, like my dad had, you know, heart issues. And we just started seeing like, it started like hitting other people too. And then um, one of the other RV parks, we actually stayed at as well. Someone next to us saw the sign on our RV and ended up sending money to our GoFundMe. Like, yeah, you know, what you're doing is amazing. Mm-hmm. We were next to you last night at the, <laughs> you know, at the RV park. Uh, I'm like, wow, like this is, this is unbelievable. And by the time we get there, um, we had the today show set up. We had bicycling magazine was doing a documentary, um, little, little, uh, little short. Um, and that was when I actually thought I was first actually diagnosed potentially with COVID because I was terrible. Like I had congestion and all that stuff. in like the last two days of the ride and like the last day to ride was nine miles from the cemetery was nine miles from our RV park. And it was the longest nine miles of that ride. I'm like, I'm like hocking up phlegm. 
I'm like, I don't know if I could do this. And they're like, I'm like, there's no way. The entire time I had tears in my eyes, we're in route. And like, then all of a sudden I see the Jacksonville National Cemetery sign. And that's like when the heart just, like it dropped. And then I started talking to James. I'm like, dude, I'm like, you're home. Like your family's here. Like your mom's right down there. Like we're going to see your mom. We're going to see your dad. We're going to see everybody. And we rode through and we turned left and we just see this massive crowd of people. Um, and on one side was his grandparents, his uncle, <clears throat> his, his nephews, his nieces. And then on the right was his mom, his stepdad and his stepsister. And I ride up to him. Seaton, my best friend was right behind me. I gave him the bike. I didn't really know what to say. And I just was like, hi. <laughs> and I just gave her a massive hug. And, you know, the tears were there, the love was there. And like, I'm meeting this family for the first time. And I swear it, it felt like within minutes, we were all comfortable. It was, it fit so perfectly. And, um, you know, the first thing I did was as soon as everybody caught up, I got the stethoscope that I had purchased to give to her so she could listen to his heart. Um, and she did that. And, um, it hit, it hit like that. This is real. And then when I saw his, his, his gravesite, that was when it, like, that was my own personal part of the trip that I want to achieve. I'm like the ride part to meet the family was more for his family and for them to see who I was and to see his, to see him there was like knowing that this is real, knowing that his heart is actually in my chest because he's here, yep. you know, and that was the reality of it. But later on that night, um, uh, we went to their house and, um, pretty much everybody that was at the cemetery was there as well. And there was a line around the kitchen just wanting to listen to his heart. Mm -hmm. And it just hit me. Like, I'm just like, this is why I did this. This is exactly why I did this. Like if they could find any closure in this, they could hate me because this is, this is the best day of my life. And it's still the worst day of theirs. Yeah, You know, they're forever going to be missing that person at every Thanksgiving and every birthday and every holiday. And like, I never forget that. Like holidays are really tough for me because I know that he should be there with his family. I'm with mine and he's not with his. So, um, but yeah, it was, it was the best decision I've ever made in my life. Um, it, 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 God, I can't even, <laughs> I can't even tell you how great that day was. <laughs> it was such a good day, you know, such a good day. And um, yeah. And now I'm feeling good. I'm feeling really good. That's awesome. Physically feeling good. Yeah. Yeah. We have some, some cool stuff coming up next year. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to be doing the transplant games. So I'm going to start getting into potential race mode. I, I haven't been competitive in a mindset in a long time. And like last night I actually said to myself, I'm like, I could, I could do this. I'm like, I could race. I'm like, I think I might have some, I mean, like I'm built like a third baseman, yeah. <laughs> you know? So like I have really stocky legs, you know, maybe a sprinter. Uh -huh. I mean, pro that's actually probably where I fit better, but <laughs> climbs are not my thing. <laughs> you know, like I don't have too much, um, you know, stamina is not there yet, but I love it. I love being on the bike. I love knowing that it's, that it's building and strengthening my heart. I love knowing it's a, a vehicle for me to, you know, talk about my story and share my story and hopefully influence other people that are, looking for a new start or have their own story that they need another push, another direction, another escape, a place for that they could use it for meditation, a place that they could use it for thinking, like whatever it is. Um, you know, the bike is a special place and, you know, like that's obviously where, you know, we've, we've connected is because I've, you know, I fell in love with how you view bikes and how you, you know, have 
been able to meet so many amazing people through the bike. And I'm like, that's, that's the life I want to have. That's, that's the direction with this new lease on life that I have that I want to just ride bikes, ride gravel, go to these cool events and, Mm -hmm. you know, just keep on moving forward, having fun. Boom. That's magic. That's incredible. Um, I'm not, I'm not even sure the wording here. Do you, do you, do you say that you have James's heart or is there a point that you consider it your own? Do you consider it shared? It's James's heart. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, because I mean, I say my heart, but then I found myself catching myself. No, no, no. James heart, because the way I look at it is like, we're a team, Yeah. you know? So like, like one of the things that the doctors always told me, they're like, you never lost any brain capacity with all the blood clots you had. You're like, that was the one thing you were able to maintain is that you never lost anything. So the way I look at it is like my heart described by my, by my cardiologist was the equivalent of a VW bus and his heart is the equivalent of a Ferrari. So <laughs> my brain at this point is sharp as attack. And, you know, I still have my creativity. I still have my passion. I still have my love. It's just in different forms. Like the way that this heart loves is different than one that I do. I notice things all the time that are just not characteristic of who I am. Like, like I'm a New Yorker. I never was into pizza, never into pizza. <laughs> I was into Chinese food. I could, I could do any other cuisine. Pizza was just like, eh. And now I love pizza. I eat pizza all the time. Yeah. And turns out that James was an avid pizza guy and he would travel <laughs> state lines just to find the right slice of pizza. Yeah. Love tacos. I'm in San Diego. I could feed that urge quite often, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> you know? And then like he was, so he was, just, he just got certified and I say it as if it was yesterday, but he got certified to be a scuba diver um, like the year before he passed. And I would, so like when they told me I wouldn't be able to get back on my bike, um, I took that time to get into photography. So I was spending a lot of time on the coast, taking photos. Every time that I was on the coast, two military helicopters would, would fly past me. And that's actually how he ended up, you know, having his issue. He ended ended up having a training exercise um, that went bad and um, he ended up experiencing um, a very, very large laceration into his head. Um, and as a result, he, um, he's always wanted to be a, a organ donor and he ended up saving eight people's lives with, with his, with his selflessness. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's incredible. You exude positivity, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's clear. Um, where do you, where do you seek strength? I mean, do you, do you, are you a religious person or is it the family and friends? Is it the bike? Is it reading? Is it yoga? Is it meditation? Where do you recharge? <laughs> um, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, I'm not religious, but I am very, very spiritual and I believe in numerology i believe in like the angel numbers stuff i'm like i believe in um like numbers and i believe in energies and i believe very 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 solidly that james is watching out for me and so whenever there's times when i feel like i mean i know he is because there's some times that he's helped me avoid some serious issues (laughs) like for instance like like I've noticed like my, my reflexes have, my balance and my reflexes have kind of slowed over the years. 
And so sometimes like when I'll, when I'll open up like a drawer or like a cabinet, I'll leave them open. Like I'll leave, like, like, like I'll leave the, the drawer open or the cabinet door open and <laughs> I'll like come up and like, I'll miss it by like, like that much. Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, thanks James. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say it out loud. Like, like even the other day I was at work and like, I was just cleaning off like one of the bikes and like, there's two, there's a shelf above it where there's a bike and underneath there's, you know, where I was cleaning and I was cleaning and like, I just go to come out cause I knew it was there. But I'm like, I missed it by so little. And I just think of myself and I know he's laughing probably like, I got you, bro. I got you. <laughs> um, no, but I stem it from like, like it's a combination. I stem it from him. I really believe in him. I believe in his presence on a permanent basis without a doubt. I, I feel him. I feel him. I feel something that is more than me that is not in a physical um, presence. Um, there's a, there's a level of strength that I have now that I, that I'm, that I'm starting to realize, like, I think that I'm starting to get stronger overall in my body because now that I'm back to work, I'm actually standing more, I'm climbing steps. So it's like, I guess the normal person way of being strong is just being on their feet. I haven't been on my feet for the last couple of years because I haven't been able to. And so like, I feel like just getting back to work has like kind of reestablishing like my foundation strength. Um, but no, like, like I would say being on the bike is, is, is where my meditation is. Like, that's where, like, I, I usually spend most of my time by myself. Um, I'm one of those lone wolf riders and, and like, I like it. Like I like kind of spending my time. I speak out loud. I yell out loud. I scream, I sing, whatever, you know, whatever's going on. The bike is, the bike has been even just the thought of the bikes, even just, you know, like going on YouTube and like watching you know, people getting lost in, in, in crazy projects, you know, like, oh my God, like, uh, like the alt route. And like, you know, <laughs> like when people just get lost in these crazy routes, it's just like, like ride a divide and Ram and this and that. I'm like, yeah. I get it. Like, like I kind of put myself in that place. Cause I know what it looks like to see nothing for a very long time. Yeah. And like, but also figuratively my future kind of looked the same way. And like, I kind of look like, I kind of like the, the, the analogy that the bike allows me to, to describe is like the bike is a perfect example of what it takes to do step by step, pedal by pedal. You can't do anything without the pedal before it. You can't do anything without that flat, without that bad time. And I'm only going to keep on getting better. I'm only going to keep on getting stronger. I'm only going to keep on getting more positive because of what I've been through. By me, by me recognizing who I am, what I've been through is going to constantly make me better moving forward. So, um, I respect religion. I mean, anybody that looks at this in a religious standpoint, I, I, I welcome you. Like, I feel that it's whoever has a perspective on this is completely deserving of that. And, um, I just, my meditation, my escape is, is the bike, is the bike, the ocean, you know, I mean, I'm very lucky enough to be on the coast. So I get to, you know, for the days that I feel like I just need to breathe, I just get on the coast. Um, that's really it. Like I'm, I'm a simple guy. I, I'm lucky. I mean, now I could say I'm simple. I mean, I've been complicated for so long. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Man. flattened out just a bit. <laughs> yeah. Given the, the adventures that you've been through, do you have bad days? Yes. Yeah, I do. I have bad days when I can't ride. <laughs> like there's some day, there's some days like when, because like right now I'm trying to work on both. So I'm like, I'm putting some time in the gym, 
you know, I'm on my feet. So like, I'm really trying to build muscle. Like I feel muscle wise, I'm there, but I've noticed in certain of my rides, like I want to just get stronger. Mm-hmm. And so there's some days like when I'm just tired, <laughs> like, and like, I'm just like, I want to ride today. I committed. I want to ride today. Everything's set up. Like I actually pumped up my tires. The bottles are ready. You know, my snacks are ready. And I'm like, I just can't do it physically today. I can't do it. And those days are like the days that are the hard days. Cause it's just like, I feel like I'm failing myself, but I'm not too hard on myself where I let that like kind of eat at me. I just be like, well, listen, this is my, this is my life. Yeah. I don't have a choice. Yeah. Um, the bad days I have too. I mean, I hate to blame people. I hate to, you know, take my feelings and put them out, but you know, society's not easy lately, you know, and that makes me upset when people are a little bit, uh, selfish on their, on their <laughs> mindsets mm-hmm. and decisions <laughs> mm-hmm. without getting into any details. But, um, yeah, no, like, I mean, I feel that I'm a lucky man. I'm living on borrowed time for the third time at this point. Um, and the bad days are not there long enough and they're not, too impactful enough that they will affect me. But if they're bad, I just don't ride my bike and I'll just, you know, I'll relax. I'll hang out with my dog. And that just makes everything better to see his little faces. I mean, there's not many things in my life that would just keep me in a bad place. (laughs) You know, the bike. Okay. You know, going to work right on the coast, you know, at Canyon, not bad. I have this little beautiful little dog here. My parents are still here. Like, you know, I have friends, you know, I had bought a new camper. Like there's a lot of good stuff going on. So like, I really try to find something you know, even in the worst of days to just, just keep on pushing me and keep on, keep on bringing me forward, you know? Friggin' right. Well done. Well, great perspective given, like I said, the adventures you've been through and I was going to say adventures and misadventures, but yeah, they're all the same. I mean, at the end of the day, they're, they're the good and the bad are all the same. Yeah. Like that's the way that I kind of like have the mindset because it's like, with for all the goods, if you didn't have bad, you would have never really understood what the good was in the first place. Oh gosh! Yeah. Like I like I heard a quote from I think it was Michael Jordan actually. He said, "All the success in the world doesn't come without failure." I agree. You know, like did I fail? I didn't fail. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't. I I didn't. You know, I wasn't. You know, like <laughs> like bad karma didn't hit me. I was just very unlucky. Um, and I feel like by a mindset of that anything bad could be turned into good. And that's where I'm lucky. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm very lucky to have experienced what I have in my life at the age that I did, because I really believe I have another life to live. And I really believe that if I could choose again, if literally someone said this button right here or this pill right here could start it all over, would you do it differently? I wouldn't, I would experience everything the exact same way. Um, because you know what, like, this is where I'm at. Like, this is exactly where I'm at. I'm talking to you right now. Like it's been a dream of mine to be on your podcast for a long time. And now I'm on it. Like, so the point is, is just like, just don't give up. Like if there's something you want, you just keep on working. You know, if there's something, if there's something that you have as a goal, like just do what you need to do to get there. And it will be hard. There will be times that you're going to want to give up. There are going to be times when, you know, you think it's just not for you and it is for you. It's always going to be for you. It's just a matter of, you know, understanding that the good is always going to come with that bad. Beautiful. Well, now that we're approaching 740 your time, AM, um, I'm going to, I'm going to allow you to go about your day, but I want to wrap with, with traditional three, three wrap up questions. You've ridden across the country a couple of times. Uh, 
Kick it off. Favorite place to ride a bike? Mississippi. Wow. Yeah. How about, I won't even explore <laughs> that. That's a terrific answer. Um, yeah. Uh, number one place you would like to ride a bike that you've never ridden? Bentonville. Also a terrific answer. And number one person with whom you would like to go for a bike ride? <laughs> he would have never stand for it, but James. <laughs> he was a motorcycle guy. I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, you know what? I could pace you. That, yeah. that, that, that'll be great. <laughs> no, but James would be great just because, I mean, from what I've been told from his friends, his family, everybody says that we'd be good friends. And, you know, if he has the personality that I'm feeling and, and if he keeps on messing with me the way that he is, I would probably be doing the same thing if the roles were reversed. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. But yeah, yeah that'll, be a, that'll be a good time. Can't beat that. Well, um, I can't thank you enough. Thank you for, for reaching out initially. It's, it has taken a little bit of time to get you on the podcast, but man, oh man, this has been a, this has been an awesome conversation. Um, thank you. I've seen some planning for 2022, so hopefully we see you at some events. Um, yeah. And I wish you a great go full circle. Great end of 2021. Thank you so much. Really appreciate being on. Thank you for having me. That's it. That's all, folks. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. I I loved it, to be honest. It was a, a very long time coming. Mike and I have been acquainted with each other for years. And it's taken a bit of time to get him on the show, but I'm thrilled that, that he was a guest and that he was so open and eloquent in the stories he was able to tell. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode... I can't tell you how important those those five-star reviews are. Please head on over to whatever podcast app you're listening to. Leave a review. It's quick. It's easy. It shouldn't take you more than 60 seconds. Tell friends. Tell family if you enjoy this episode or this podcast in general. That is all from here. and That is all for now. Until next time, please enjoy the ride.